0: First off, uh, I wanted to dedicate the sheer alias neshama, elevation of the soul of uh, Arini Moko, Regina Bas Yosef Uvain, and it should certainly elevate her in Kanedin. Now, I've been talking extensively, obviously, about not just Pesach, but how Pesach is really the model of, of the whole Tikkun process. And I think this is number six. You know, I'm I'm not sure, but, you know, so on. Uh, so I want to try to conclude this, you know, in terms of what the Tikkun process really is, the rectification process, you know. And um truth is if somebody studies this very well you really understand the uh, basic, fundamental story, if you want to use that word, of what Judaism is and what it wants to accomplish. Uh, you know, and we and really we want to take we, we really want to take the Jewish people and even the entire world. So I'm going to again talk about ideas, but um, you know, but I'm going to. Uh, try to answer uh, really a very fundamental question. and That is, you know, from the last year, uh, we saw that uh, even the, ter- that the Jews restored the Zoyamor because of the sin of the golden calf. And that's what we see, you know. In any case, so not only was it restored, but I also mentioned that the Torah itself is now surrounded by the Zoyamo, you see. And I went into that for quite extensively and so on, you know. So the question then is, okay, so what do we do? You know, how do we really remove the Zoyamor? I mean, they clearly did it in Egypt. So how are we going to do it, you know, now uh, in 2022? But there's no question, as I've, I've spoken repeatedly you know, really for a long time that um, we see that the world today is much worse than it was even, I don't know, 30 years ago. There's a substantial amount of evil, you know, that is happening uh, uh, in the world. And what's interesting is that that evil is being recognized as being terrible. Not all of it, obviously. There is a recognition. So hopefully it means, like I said, that the window is about to close. So we have to be very, very close. And you remember what I said about the Zoya, uh, that the Zoya says that 210 years before the end, which is 2240, right? Uh, 2240, we are about, what, 218 years before the end that Tchir will occur. Tchir obviously occurs after Mashiach Ben David comes, right? So that's the year to, to, uh, 2030. And that's less than eight years from now. And that's probably why you see such a tremendous acceleration of what is going on. So there's no question that as we watch the acceleration process, and that's really what it is, that's why in the last 20 years there is so much things, so many events that have happened. Because what God is doing is He's speeding up the acceleration process. And if the, if the Mashiach David arrives, you know, by 2030, which is what the Zoya seems to be implying, uh, then there's an enormous amount that has to be accomplished in order for that to happen. You see... And that's why we are seeing such a uh, tremendous rapidity of the events occurring. You know, one after the other. Every day you wake up, like something new is happening, you know, which is astounding. So there's no question that we are getting closer and closer. In any case, the question is, so what happens now, you know, since we, the Zoyama, the pollution... Or well, the contamination of the bria of the creation has now reasserted itself. So, what do we do now? And that's what I wanted to, you know, speak about. And
1: <clears throat>
0: what does it have to do with the uh, now, the holiday of Pesach, and the mitzvahs of Pesach? Now, in order to understand really, you know, every uh, many times, in order to understand a concept that concept itself needs a, an introduction. It's called background information. So in order to understand these ideas, you need some background information. And one of the things that is very important is what exactly is the result of the Zoyama? You see, what exactly happens? So what we can see is the following. Odom Horishan, the first man, there was the Nohosh, the snake, but I had mentioned that the snake was external. He was outside the body of Odom, the first man, you see. In other words, Odom Horishan, his world, which was Gan Eden, did not have the Zoyamah. It had Geshem, it had a certain degree of physicality. But it had no Zoyamar intertwined with it. And I've spoken about this before. You see. Uh, so obviously it was a very different kind of world. You see. In other words, Zoyama existed. The possibility of that uh, uh, force existed. That could intermingle with Geshem. Physical world right, in potential. But that was not the world that Odom resided in. So what was the problem with Odom? Now, what the, what man, in order to allow him to have a test, has to suffer under a certain delusion or false belief. And that's because an Odom, a man, does not see reality completely. So, he, you know, he exists with certain beliefs about what the world really is, the true nature. So, what was the belief of Odom before he did the sin? Well, the belief of Odom is what? Is that he is a self, right? And, uh, but he's not a cause. He can't do anything, really. He was born, or rather created, I should say. On the sixth day. So when he was conscious of himself, he felt, he felt a certain sense of self. But he knew he didn't make any of this. He knew it was God. You see? So therefore, he did not have any kind of false belief or delusion that he was a cause of anything, really. Was, you know, he just came into the world and there he is conscious of everything but not really in any way knowing that he had any input in this he's not a cause of anything you see but the problem with Odom is that he thought he could become a cause you see and that's where the Nohosh, the snake the primordial snake who was the mouthpiece of of the of the uh, Sultan try to introduce him and his wife, Kava that no, you could become like God. And this is exactly what the test was. Because they said that God himself became God, the ability to create worlds, the ability to do the shlita, the domination of the world, cause, right? is because he ate from that tree. And he doesn't want you to rival him. So that's why I commanded you not to eat from that tree, you see. And therefore, Odom and Chava had the belief that they could become like God. That's what the Nocha said. And you would be as God. That's exactly what it says in the Chumash. Well, that was obviously very enticing, you see, because they had a belief that there was somebody they had a self, but no. they were infinitely inferior to God in the sense that they can't do anything. They're not a cause of anything, you see. And therefore, they ate from the tree. Now, when they ate from the tree, what happened? Then they fell, if you want to use that expression. They fell into a different world they fell into the world of the Zoyamo or the satanic world. Now, we don't know exactly what the process was, but their world changed, you see. The pollution of the satan surrounded them, and it surrounded, you know, the world, so they were chased out of Gan Eden into a world that, had, that was dominated by the satan, you see. But in that world because they had failed. So God said to Adam, very incredible concept, he says, in the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. Now to us, now the Ramchal, Ramayashi Chaim Lutzato, tells us what that means in a profound way. It's not like people think well, in the sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread, which means you're going to have to really work hard, and that is a punishment, you know, <clears throat> that you're going to have to exert tremendous amount of labor to be able to make a livelihood. That's what eating bread means, and therefore that is a punishment. Until now, you were in Gan Eden, and everything was there for you. You had to do absolutely nothing to, to do whatever you want, eat it was all there for you. So God said, No, the pecho in the sweat of your brow you will eat. What does that mean? It's not that God is punishing him. <clears throat> what God is doing since you believed, right, that you can equal me, in other words, not only are you a self, but you a self that is able to cause and like Rashi says, Burialomas, create worlds. Then that delusion or false belief, I am going to create a situation, right, since you had that belief, or you thought you could become equal to me, I'm going to create a situation, or put you in a situation, where it will be much more difficult to see, you see, that you can't cause anything. How? Because what will happen is that In order for you to make a livelihood, which means, let's say, to eat bread, you need to exert tremendous amount of labor, as exhibited by sweat, on the sweat of your brow. You will eat bread. Well, if that's the case, uh, since you have to exert tremendous amount of effort, you're going to think that you're a cause. You see? You're going to think that you actually, you are responsible For the livelihood. Why? Because it can only come as a result of your efforts. But uh, that itself is a false delusion. Because in the end, no matter what you do, I am the one, God says, who in the end gives you your bread, your livelihood. But since it only comes when you exert force, labor, then you're going to fall in the mistaken delusion, right, that you caused it. And therefore, your work is now to undo that delusion and realize that even though it looks like the only way you will have a parnosa, eat bread, is by your own efforts, and therefore it looks like you caused it, you're going to have to undo or work through that belief and realize that it is false. So what God did is He increased the difficulty of undoing the false belief, you see. Uh, so not only would Adam not, uh, because, like I said, not uh, what this would mean is that not only Adam thinks that he is a self, but he is a self that causes, you see, just like God. And he's going to have to undo that false belief. So what it means is that if he undoes it which means he realizes he's not a cause for anything, then the next thing he has to believe is that God is the only thing that exists, that Odom is not even a self. So we realize that there are two ideas. One is yichud mitzi that God is the only thing that exists. Everything else does not exist in the way God does. So that's the first uh, idea of reality, true reality. The second idea of true reality is that since God is the only thing that exists, he's the only one that can do anything, that can cause anything, you see. And both of these ideas is what Adam should have worked through, you see. Because before he ate from the tree, he realized that he's not a cause, but he thought he exists as a self besides God. So his error was not in reaching the idea that God is the only one that exists. Enoid mulvadoi. Besides God, there's nothing else. So obviously he never reached that truth, right? But what he did is he made the second idea that he's not a cause much more difficult to achieve. Because now he would only be able to make a parnoso if he actually labored, which fools him into thinking... That he is the cause. You see. These are very important ideas. Because what they do is they... They il- illustrate or they indicate... What the real test of man is. To understand these two false beliefs. That A. You're not even a cause. And B. You're not even a self. And Mauritian Should have realized right? The idea that he's not even a self but he didn't. And now Adam has to realize because he creates Parnassar livelihood only through his effort now he has to come to the realization that he's not a cause at all. You see? He's fooled. So what God did he didn't punish him. He made it worse or more, much more difficult to come to the truth of what the nature of man really is. Is, uh, you see. So these are very important ideas, you see. And what causes a person to think that he is also a true cause, right, is the Zoyama. Because in the world of the Zoyama, things can only happen if you exert effort, you see. So in the world of Gan Eden things happen without exerting effort. But in the world of the Zayama, things will only happen if you exert effort because what that does is it fools you into thinking that you are a real cause. When you think about that, it's a very fundamental flaw in the belief of man. But we are now stuck at that second level of, uh, of illusion, if you want to use that word. You know, <clears throat> That's why One of the interesting things about all this is that really we do nothing. We believe we are causes, but in the end we really do nothing. So, one of the most fundamental, or maybe it is the most fundamental, actually it's not, the most fundamental psychological drive in a human being, of all the different psychological drives and needs, do you know what that is? It's the drive for self preservation. That you want to protect your existence, your life, at all costs. Self-preservation is the most fundamental human drive, psychological drive. But do you know what the second most important psychological drive is? It answers a tremendous amount of questions. And in the end, it's the basis of all psychological maladies and trauma. But I'm not going to go into that. Actually, I gave a whole bunch of shurma about that a long time ago. But in any, case, in any case, the second most fundamental drive, psychological drive of a human is very much related to this. It's where we are always trying to assert, reassure ourselves that we are somebody. Right? That we are not a nobody. You don't realize that everything you do always has either the, the direct motive or the indirect motive of asserting being. Very an important idea because in the end, we are really nothing. So we always have to convince ourselves that we are somebody. In fact, what's interesting is that you actually see this in the Torah, you know, <clears throat> and I'm going to read what it says, okay, and you will eat via Ochalto. This is in Parshus Ekev, right, uh, in Shaney. And the Torah reveals a very fundamental idea about the inherent nature of man. Really, it's about the second most basic psychological drive, and that is mankind is always trying to reassure himself that he is somebody to assert being you see to have a sense of uh, self-regard, self regard, <coughs> self self worth. So because it says and you will eat and you will um and you will be satisfied, right? And you will bless the Lord your God on the land, you know, which I gave you. Now here's where the Torah reveals incredible secret Watch out. Lest you forget the Lord your God. To do what? In what way will you forget Him? The Vilti Shemo Mitzvah not to observe His commandments. That's the equivalent of forgetting God. And His ordinances and so on that I am commanded you. That's what God says. Watch it. Don't forget me And the way you forget me or indicate that is you won't observe my commandments. What will bring you to forget my commandments? So the Torah mentions four different situations. One, Lest you eat and you be satisfied. That's the way number one. So you're eating and satisfying yourself with eating, let's say you eat a great meal, right? You will forget God. Then the second way, and you're going to build beautiful houses, right? And dwell in it. That's a second way that that situation can cause you to forget God. The third way, and your flock and, sh- and sheep and so on, right? Uh, even, you will multiply. You're going to own a tremendous amount of livestock. And then the fourth way, And money, gold, and silver, you're going to increase, right? Uh, You're uh, going to increase. So these are the uh, and, and everything, and everything that is yours, you will increase. Okay, so these four ways, right? But why these four ways? And I'll tell you something very interesting. Because these four ways is the way man convinces himself that he is somebody. Yeah, it's incredible. Let's go over that again. Lest you eat and be satisfied. See, what we don't realize is everything we exercise our will. Whenever we do something that we want to do, which I exercise my will, right? Immediately, the underlying feeling is I am somebody. Because if I was a nobody... How can I have a will? How can I have pleasure exercising that will? So to exercise one's will and, and do it is a way of feeling that I'm a somebody. So the Torah uses that by you will eat and be satisfied. The second way we exercise our being or convince ourselves that we're somebody is what's called productivity. When we produce something When we cause something to happen, then we feel as if we exist. So we feel like a somebody. So the Torah illustrates that. with, And good houses you will build and you will dwell in it. Well, That's productivity. In other words, right? You're going to build. You're going to be productive. And therefore you will be convinced, well, the house is coming into being because, right, I am causing it. That tells you that I am a somebody. So that's a second way that we can convince ourselves that we are somebody. And then it says, and your flock and sheep, you will multiply. What way is that? Possessions. Why does everybody want to own everything? Because one of the pleasures of ownership is not just to derive the function of that which you own. No, it's also because I possess. And when you possess something, what does that mean? It means you can control that device. And control gives you a sense of self. Right. You see? And that's why everybody wants to possess. You see? Because that gives them a sense of control. And if I can control others, clearly I must exist. So that's a third way of asserting being. And the fourth way that the Torah says, the kesef is and gold and silver you will increase. Why? Because, what does money do? Money in itself is not something you can function with. It doesn't do anything for you. But money, gold, silver, whatever, these are items that make you potent. They give you the ability to do anything. You know, it's like, you know, if you have a tremendous amount of money, guess what? You can do almost anything that's possible. Because that's what money does, it allows you to achieve almost anything by buying it, or whatever, owning it, and so on. So that's the fourth way of asserting being. If you have millions and millions of dollars, of course you're going to become what? You will think you are somebody. In other words, all of this concept of being somebody is nothing more than incredible arrogance, you see. Now, these are the four ways that the Torah uses as examples that you are going to assert being, reassure, reconfirm being, right? So what will happen to you? Right? Well, the gist was, you're going to forget God. But look what the Torah says. What will happen? The Rom vecho, and your heart will grow mighty. There you are. That's the arrogance. You will now convince yourself that I am a somebody. I am self-worth. And therefore, if you are a somebody, you will therefore forget the Lord your God that has taken you out of Egypt, from the house of slaves. You see? And therefore, Torah uh, says, and we skip a Pesach, and you will say in your heart, and you will say in your heart, yodi," that my strength, and the might of my hand, did this for me. That's what you're going to say. You see? All of this came about. Why? I did these four things, they all confirm that I am somebody, my heart will grow tremendously haughty, and therefore, why do I have to do what God wants? I will do what I want because I exist independent of God. Why? What's the proof? Because my strength has caused all of this. It's incredible. The Torah is actually telling you, right, what's going to happen in these four situations. But what the Torah is also providing you is the second greatest psychological drive of a human. The first I said is to, you know, self-preservation, is to do anything that will cause you to exist, right? Not die. And the second is I need to confirm, to assert that I am somebody, you see, that I am a true self, you see. And the way you do it is the four ways the Torah said. You either exercise your will, and that itself will make you feel like somebody, right? And then you, you become productive, you see? You create, so that will do it. Then possessions will do it, because if I have possessions, then I can control others, right? And then gold and silver, because if I have a lot of money, of course, I'm it. I can do anything I want. You see what the terror does, which is amazing when you think about that, you see? And this, then, is what God said to Adam. In the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. Because I am now putting you in a situation outside of Gan Eden where you are going to, it will be much more difficult for you to erase the falseness that you are a true cause. You see? And because you have not erased that, you think you are a cause, you are in a delusion of false belief. And your void, your task now becomes much more difficult, you see. Very, very basic, very important information, you see. And all of this is the responsibility, what causes us because of the Zoyamo, you see. Because if we were in Ghana, we wouldn't have the delusion that we are a cause. We would have a delusion that besides God there's also us but we would never think that we are equal to God in the world without Zoyamo in the world of just Geshem physicality well physicality is a barrier you see because it separates me from God so therefore there's God and there's me but in no way can I believe that I equal God in any way in potency in the ability to do but when you enter the world of Zoyamo which is not just physicality but if the physicality intermingled with the pollution of the Sutton, then we be- it's a second barrier, you see. And we begin to enter that world of what he enters, you see. And that is where we think that we are not only a self besides God, but that we are equal to God in the sense that we produce. Very basic thing. and By the way, I'm not going to go into it. Cause it's a whole other lecture. But this second psychological understanding, drive, where man is always asserting himself that he is, self-worth is the fundamental psychological drive, really is the underlying idea that when you lack that, that is the underlying idea of all psychological illness. Uh, you know, it's a whole sheer in itself. But that's what it is. Everybody who is psychologically has defense mechanisms suffers from an inferiority complex, no matter what that is, and then he has to protect himself with defense mechanisms, right, and give himself the feeling that he's a somebody. In any case, it's very basic. So, this is what we now see, that Zoyama causes us because it's a second barrier besides the physical world, there's also, right, the world of the Zoyama in the physical world and that causes us to believe, since we have to expend effort not to get things done, it causes us the false belief that we are a cause. And therefore, we are equal to God. Very interesting idea. Uh, and in many ways, that's what the Torah is, you see. So after the Jews reintroduced the Zoyama into creation by doing the golden calf, right? the problem was, is, well, how are we going to get rid of this? You see, what happens now? And therefore, the first way, if we would have had the luchas Rishonis, the first tablets, right? Which is what Moshe Rabbeinu brought down and that he broke it, right? Uh, so that way, that's the Messianic light. That's the Nun Sharibina, the 50 Gates of Wisdom. So that automatically would, would have removed the second delusion that we can cause anything and it would even have given us the knowledge of the first delusion, that we exist independent of God, you see. Which is interesting, because in the Messianic era, we do not experience enoim Mervadoi. We know it. And maybe we experience it in a very light way. The real place we experience enoim Mervadoi, besides God, there is nothing else. It's not in the Messianic era to experience it. We experience it in William the future world. That's where the full exposure to the falseness that we think we are self-independent of God, or that we even exist like God, is completely broken in the future world. <clears throat> but the first luchos, the first tablets, right, would have had that also. So, in, if we had received the first tablets, right? Because the Jews remember, had, they had externalized the Zoyamah, so they were worthy of the first tablets. They would have broken and seen as false both of these false ideas, delusions. But now that the Jews reintroduced that belief, these two beliefs, because of the world of the Zoyamah, right? Again, we went into that world, then we now have those false delusions. So how do we break it? So therefore the Torah gave us or God gave us the second Luchos. Now the second Luchos, the second tablets, are what? They are the tablets that have mitzvahs. It's a concept of the Avodah. We now have to do mitzvahs. You see? And when you do a mitzvah, automatically right? you are doing the will of God. You are you are negating your will for the will of God. And when you do that, then you distinctly get the feeling, of course, that God's will is supreme, right? And therefore, you begin to realize that is the beginning of the diminishment of self. So the second tablets is a way where the, you can actually intervene in the world of the Zoyama and try to break the delusions that the Zoyama causes, You see, so that's what Torah really does. Torah is the only device that can make you or cause you to break the delusion of self. And not only delusion of self, but delusion of what type of self you are, that you are a true cause. Because it forces you 613 ways to do the will of God. And all those ways are against basically what you want to do. You know, let's say you want to eat, right? And you pass a restaurant that is not kosher. So you want to eat because you're very hungry, right? But you say, no, I cannot eat that because God said, I cannot eat food that is not kosher. So what are you really doing? You are denying yourself your will. And you are adhering to the will of God. That automatically diminishes your sense of self or your sense of the delusion of who you really are, and you are asserting uh, that God's will is supreme. But why? Because God really is the only thing that exists, you see. Uh, So the mitzvah, as the Gemara says, is a tavlin. The mitzvah is an antidote, right, to the delusions of self. That's why Torah is the only device that can do that. There is no other device. So, even the second tablets, which they got, even after they introduced the Zoyamal into the creation, is critical to diminish the concept of self. You see? Because once you do that, then you are on your way to understand the real idea, right? The real idea that even if you feel yourself, you do not cause anything. And the second thing is ultimately... That when you deny your will, you are denying the concept right, of who you are, the importance of who you are. In many ways, you are denying that you are nothing. It's only God that is. And that's why His will is supreme. Very important ideas. So even the second Luchas, the second tablets that God gave, is the only way to break that delusion of self. And remember, The concepts of self that you are and that you cause, those are behind or that's caused by the Zoyama, you see, because we have to interact with the world in order to get anything done. So it's always easy to make the mistake that our input is what caused it. That's the mistake we're always making. And that is the world of the Zoyama, you see. So, the first way of getting rid of Zoyama, right, is to um, exercise, right, to do the God's will by doing the mitzvahs, as I just said. Because that diminishes the sense of self, which is very important, you see. Another way, and it's a very important concept, is the concept of suffering. Why does suffering, why is that a tikkun? Why is that a kapora? Why is that an atonement device? Because when a person is in the ICU, for instance, right? The intensive ward, right? And he's plugged into all the tubes and the machines. What do you think he feels about himself? That he's a nobody. Because if you really were a cause, if you really were a somebody, why not pull out everything and just walk out? But he knows he can't. So when a person suffers... He is undergoing something that he cannot end. That proves to him that he's a nobody. You see, that breaks the delusion of self. That's the secret of suffering. And you should know that's a tremendous chesed, kindness that God did. Because he gave us a way, even in the world of Zoyamor, he gave us a way to diminish the sense of self. And to be on the way to understand that I am nothing and God is everything. But first you have to diminish the sense of self. Because if not, you'll never let God in. So what suffering does, and that's the secret of how it's able to atone, is it diminishes the sense of self because you can't stop it. You see? So you realize that I am not who I think I am. And therefore... What happens now is there's a real possibility that you, who is the only force or cause, and that helps you in the direction that it's only God. Very important ideas. That's what what suffering does. And that's why suffering is an undoing of a sin, because a sin is something that you do with your will, and therefore that aggravates the feeling that you're somebody. Because that's what, when you sin... You feel like somebody because you're doing, you're exercising your will. So suffering is an undoing of the aggrandizement of self, you see. And besides, when you suffer, it's also a reversal of the pleasure that you had as a result of the sin. So those are the two things that suffering brings. Suffering in any form, it doesn't make a difference what form it is. Exile is suffering, bankruptcy, divorce sickness, you see, all of these things are suffering. So, the pain that you feel undoes the pleasure of a sin, so that's a reversal. And the second thing is the diminishment of self also undoes, you know, the delusion of self that you get when you sin. That is the secret of suffering, which is a big chesed, because without that, how would we be able to undo this whole concept of self. Now, besides that, there's something else. How did the Jews bring the Tikkun? How did they get rid of the Zoyamal? And the answer is, uh, because they were in Egypt. And they were able to withstand a certain amount of the assimilation, or they suffered for many years. You see. So what God did That's called the primary Tikkun device. So the primary way they got rid of the Zoyamor, right, is through the exile in Egypt. You see, that's how they did it. So the historical event itself is called the primary Tikkun device. But when they failed because of the sin of the golden calf, God said the following, that if you replicate, duplicate, copy, right, Uh, some of the symbolic ideas of Egypt itself, I will count that to you as a recognition right, of the tikkun that was done in those days, and every time you do that, it will remove some of the zoyamah. And now you begin to understand the concept of the mitzvahs of Pesach. Because what you're doing is called a secondary tikkun device. You see, by doing the mitzvahs, which are symbolic of the event called the, the uh, e- exile in Egypt, then the, what, what happens is that doing those mitzvahs itself will remove the zoyamor Because they are an admission, an acknowledgement, you see, of what happened in Egypt. You see, and therefore that itself will reduce the zoyama, And when enough Pesachs go by, that will mean that we will actually have removed the zoyamo one of the main ideas is by Pesach. Now, let's take a look at some of the mitzvahs. First idea is matzah. Right? We are commanded to eat matzah. Well, think about that. Matzah is flour and water. There's no leaven or yeast. And that's really what the human body is without zoyamo. The body is... The physical body, right? And also the nishama, the soul. Well, matzah is also the flower, which is the body, and the water, which represents the nishama. So, matzah really is a food which is appropriate to a person that has no zayama. You see? It has only two ideas, right? And the body has two ideas, right? You see? So, matzah actually represents the body, right? The, the, the physical body and the soul, matzah represent that because it's only flour and water, it has no yeast, and the body has no zayama. Both of them have two elements. So therefore, matzah is the food appropriate for a body without Zoyama. Chometz. Chometz has three elements. Chometz is flour, water, right? And, and leaven, right? That represents a body that, that has a physical body, it has a neshama. And it also has the zoyama. You see? So God said you cannot eat chametz in Pesach because that represents you with zoyama, symbolically. You have to eat matzah, which represents you without zoyama. That's why we are commanded to avoid chametz and also to eat the matzah. Now the third thing we are commanded is moral. That you have to do what? You have to uh, eat bitter herbs. Why? Because the major tikkun device was through suffering in Egypt. Therefore, we eat Murah as a reminder that we suffered in Egypt. You see. Then we have, right, we have the four cups, four curses. We drink four cups of wine. Why? Because when the Jews were redeemed from Egypt, right? they were redeemed from the four levels of the Zoyama. If you remember in the first year, I mentioned that there are four that the Zoyama can express themselves in four different environments. And when the Jews left Egypt, right, and they left the Zoyama, right, then we have four cups that celebrate our exit or our release of these four levels of Zoyama. If you remember what they are, which was what I said uh, in the first lecture, you know, uh, it's a world either, uh, environment one, where there is good and evil, environment two, is only basically evil, environment three, where evil itself is actually a whole philosophical understanding of Weltanschauung itself, and the fourth level is where that evil understanding of an inter- alternative reality is spread throughout the world. So, when the Jews left Egypt, they left all four Environments of evil, you see. Therefore, we drink four cups of wine. Why? What about the fifth cup that we don't drink? That's called the Kosevelio. Because even though we achieved removing the Zoyama from us, right, but that only removes the Zoyama. What about the Geshem, the physical body, right? We're supposed to remove Geshem and become spiritual, right? So, We didn't do that. We only removed the Zayama, right? But we didn't become from physical to spiritual. And the truth is, that's exactly what Elio did. That's why it's called the cup of Elio. Because Elio removed, he did not die. Because what he was able to do is remove the Zayama, and he went up with his body, you see. So therefore, we use the fifth cup as the curse of Elio, you see. Now, I mentioned also that the concept of the Yamsof, right, is a concept of the reversal of Noach. Because what happened was, like I mentioned then, is that the waters of the Mabel were really uh, the uh, Zoyama, in that sense, or the, uh, that, that destroyed the world. But since the Jews removed the Zoyama, or potentially during the 50 days of counting, 49 days of counting, Therefore, they went through the yam. The yam split for them because they had succeeded in removing the Zoyimah, you see. So we begin to see that these mitzvahs actually mirror symbolically the event of Pesach. Now, we also have the concept of the Korban Pesach, right? Where a group of people get together and register and they would eat a sacrifice called the Korban Pesach. What was that about? Well, the Korban Pesach, because when you remove Zoyamor, it's not enough to do that, you see. Because what the Jews became is a nation unto themselves, you see. And the Korban Pesach, in many ways, is a membership ritual. All of a sudden, the Jews ate the Korban Pesach, which is an offering to God. uh, And therefore, that initiated them into the service of God, you see. That's why the Korban Pesach is so important, you see, because it initiates a person into being a member of the Jewish people, which is what happened after they left Egypt. They became a true nation. And by the way, that's why also uh, there are two uh, mitzvahs say, two positive commandments that if you don't observe, you get kores extinction. You see, which means you die before the age of 60. One of them is milah, And that's a membership symbol, that you're a member of the Jewish people. And the second thing is the Korban Pesach. Because that was the membership, you know, you already removed the Zoyimah, you now become a nation without Zoyimah, or a nation that serves God, so you must eat the Korban Pesach, you see. And that also is why that's the only mitzvah that has a makeup, Because that mitzvah is so important of eating the Korban Pesach, that there were people who could not eat the Pesach because they were Tomei. So they said to Moshe Benu, why should we be denied eating a Kod Pesach? So Moshe Benu then gave the Mitzvah, God gave him the Mitzvah of Pesach Sheni. What was so important about Pesach Sheni? Why did they need a makeup? Okay, you missed it. Okay. You had a good reason. You were Tomei. You were impure. But the answer is that this is a Mitzvah that indicates that they are part of the Jewish nation it's not just a mitzvah and they didn't want to be exempt from that you see it's not just a mitzvah it's a mitzvah that illustrates that they're part of the Jewish nation because that was the reason why they did it in Egypt to indicate that they are now leaving the Tumor of Egypt and they are joining God in his service as part of the Jewish nation and therefore these people wanted to have that so they asked Moshe Rabbeinu for a makeup, And he said, okay. And he promulgated the mitzvah, right, which God told him right then and there, of Pesach Sheni. You see? That's why, and so on. So, what is interesting is, is this, is that when we do a seder, and a seder, which we do, right, a seder is a platform that allows us to do these mitzvahs, right, of matzah and moro, and symbolically what represents the Pesach, and so on, they enable us to do this. You see. So, when the Jews observe Pesach for thousands of years, every time they observe these mitzvahs of Pesach, right, that diminishes a certain portion of the Zeramor, you see, which is really very important. In fact, at the time of Pesach, that time period is when The zoyama becomes erasable, which is interesting. So when the Jews observe Pesach, that's what happens. In fact, if you think about it, if you look at the Jewish people today, and you look at people who do not observe mitzvahs, you will find, which is very interesting, that there's two mitzvahs that they all tend to observe, basically. One is Mila. Even a non-Orthodox Jew wants to have a bris. I mean, there are thousands of stories of Jews that were not religious, but they wanted to have their children have a, 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 a bris because that's part of the membership of being a Jew. And the second thing is, everybody makes a seder. You know, unfortunately, they may have chomets together with the matzah, you see, because they're not observant. But for some reason, even non-religious Jews have a seder. Right? Why? Because again, because that Seder mystically represents the membership of a Jew in the, uh, in, uh, as, a, as a people, you see. It's very interesting that these are the only two mitzvahs you find that even non, many non-observant Jews also observe. Very interesting. So we now understand what God did is He, he gave a second tikkun device. A second device that can do the tikkun. And these are the mitzvahs that symbolically resemble or mirror the actual primary Tikkun event, which is the actual exodus from Egypt. So therefore, this is how we remove, you see, the Zoyama. Now, there's another way, is that we have to go through four exiles in order to remove the four environments of evil. that's why. We failed to do it in Egypt because of the golden calf. So we have to go through four more exiles, right, to remove those four ideas, right? First one was Babylon. Second one is Persia. The third one is Greece. And the fourth one is Rome. And that's the secret of the four exiles, that we have to duplicate, right, those four environments of evil. So we have to go through all four, because Egypt itself represented all four exiles. So what you could do in Egypt, you can't do uh, in the countries. Each one has its own environment, uh, without getting into that, of what the Jews have to go through. And if uh, they remain, if they suffer or they do mitzvah, then they reduce that environment of evil. And that's the secret of the four exiles, you see, that uh, the Jews have to go through, which is really in many ways very interesting, you see. So this is a secondary tikkun device, you see. And what is also interesting is that what this also, these four cups also represent the five expressions of redemption that is used, that God took out. V'hitsalti, and I will rescue them and I will take them out, I will take them, I will take them. I will and I will redeem them, and then and I will bring them. You see, that's very interesting because these four represent, like I say, the four ideas of taking them out of the Klippa, the four ideas, right? And then the fifth expression of redemption, right, is the actual removal of the zoyama and the actual removing, removal of the barrier of the Geshem you see and when you think about it these are replicated in own. remember I once told you where it says and even if your outcast be at the ends of heaven it has three ideas He will gather you which is equivalent right to and I will rescue you and I will take you out then which is Rialti and we The second idea, second uh, the other expression of to the, the language of redemption, Viloti and I will take you is equivalent where it saysmiho and God will take you out, right. So that's the of the five languages expressions of redemption, right? And the last one, and, and also and the last one where it says, God will take you to Eretz Yisrael, that's Vehevesi. See, that's the, that's the expression, and I will bring you. Actually, this is, when you think about it, the sequence of redemption. One, God will separate us from the Goyim. He will separate all the Jews from the Goyim. That's the first. The second is that He will then take... Us to him, which means in some way which we do not know, he will teach us the Torah. All the Jews will again become Tamil Chachomim. And I once mentioned how that could be, um, and, and, and so on, with the concept of Mishnais, uh, Because it says that, uh, I mentioned that it says in the, <coughs> in the, uh, the Medrash, where it says there that God will take <coughs> that um, <coughs> that the only way the Jews can be redeemed is through the merit of learning Mishnayas. is interesting. And that's the equivalent of LeKachti, I will take them to me, which means I will teach them Torah, and then of course the last way is Rehvesi, and I will bring them to Israel, where of course where you will have
1: <coughs>
0: the Besamikdash. In any case, We have now covered, you know, the whole idea of the Tikkun process from the beginning to the end. And uh, we now understand that the whole exile of Egypt, the whole redemption from Egypt, the giving of the Torah, you know, and the restoration of the Zoyma, all of this is the model of the actual redemption itself. And that's ultimately what is going to happen to repeat exactly what happened then. And we do that, we, we get rid of the Zoyama, like I said, through the Torah itself, which can remove the Zoyama, and also by being exiled through four nations, right? And the last way, of course, is by actually having a Seder and replicating or observing mitras which represent the actual uh, historical event of Egypt itself. Any questions?
1: So now that Shavuos is it's on its way, what is the mindset we should be in to accept the holiday and then to...
0: like? Well, the, the main idea of Shavuos, obviously, A, is to rejoice in the fact that we receive the Torah, which is the vehicle to bring the redemption. And the second thing is to, you know, to uh, reconfirm our desire to observe the Torah. Those are the two main ideas. To accept the Torah that we have, and we have to recognize that this is the only way to redeem ourselves, to get rid of the Zoyamal, and to enter the Messianic era. So that's number one, to be joyful at receiving the Torah. That's one of the reasons why we stay up all night, Uh, because out of a sense of joy, we don't want to go to sleep, you know, in anticipation of what we're about to get the next day. And the second idea is to, you know, recommit to observing the Torah as best we can. You know? Okay.
1: So every week, every year... We re, we redo the Omer because we're counting up as much exactly. as we do the Zohamah, right? Great. Yeah. So now now that we're not doing that, technically, like we're really not ridding ourselves. We're still counting, but we're not ridding it, or or do we? Is it, no, we is
0: do something each year. Actually,
1: is something each
0: year not- we do each year we do something. We don't know how much, but every year that we observe these commandments of Pesach. Including the Sphere of So'imah and Shuas, we reduce, we diminish the Zoyama. And The time will come when we will have observed, in many ways, the last Pesach, we will actually have vanquished the Zoyamo. We don't know when that is. But Pesach is what's called a secondary Tikkun event, or I should say, the Mitzvah of Pesach is a secondary Tikkun event, you see. So there is a diminishment every Pesach. Let's hope that this one is it.
1: As we diminish the Zohama, do yes? the Sephidot get re-energized?
0: Say that again, as we what?
1: As we, d- we diminish the Zohama within us, do the Sephidot yes? get re-energized?
0: Yes. Yes, but they're not released. <coughs> So it's, there's two processes. One is that the sparks of holiness goes back into the spherus, and the second thing is that they're able to release it. So you know, that first process always, is always happening, where it's being restored to the, uh, the, the spherus, but only during the, the paquido can it be released. And this is a hero which is what the Ramchal talks about in the Maimahagula.
1: Which we're still waiting for, the piquido, or do you think we're in the process of it?
0: Um, well, I, w- I would imagine that <clears throat> that we are right up against it. That it hasn't happened. Let's say the precursor seems to be happening because evil is falling in America and there's a tremendous America is going to have a tremendous backlash against the Democratic Party and the liberals that are destroying America so that's a very good sign and also the era of Rav in Israel is also experiencing a a very strong possibility of collapse Uh, so that has to mean that evil is on its way out but it's still getting its last claim you see same thing in Egypt which I mentioned that's because God has to balance the books before he brings the redemption and that's why when Moshe Rabbeinu came Pari all of a sudden issued a decree that they have to gather their own straw
1: <clears throat>
0: you see because there's a claim that evil has, or I should say justice has, and I think we are in that period of time. So, you know, whether if it could be before the Pekita, but it seems to be before the Biquida or right up to that spot.
1: Remind me, what happens when the Pekita happens?
0: <clears throat> well, when the pekidah happens then the Yechidah is released and crowns the Mashiach ben Yosef and then he begins to grow that's what happens because he is released from his own prison the pre, the prison of the these, of these Zoyamah you see that's the pekidah and that was the same idea by Moshe Rabbeinu where it says and God remembered the Jews right before the snare, the burning bush. You see, so the period is when the echidah or the Mashiach himself realizes that he's the Mashiach, and he is released, so he can begin his growth, which takes time because he's been, you know, enwrapped in, and imprisoned for so many years and so much suffering. And then the Zechira is when the Shina is released. You see. And that's the, uh, the, uh, that's the real, that's the equivalent of the Ten Markas. You know, where the Shekhinah is released, which is the actual energy of the spherus. And that's the, that, that's really the end. That's the Yikabetzcho. And God will gather you and bring you to Him. You know, and then bring you to Israel. So you have those two stages. Stage one is where the Mashiach himself is released and you know and he gets that the Yachida that part of the Neshama of Adam Merishan he gets that so he can now begin to grow as I quoted the Paschal the Paschal Hine Yaskav Avdi Behold my servant will grow wise you know V'yoram van Nisa meyoid and he will become exceedingly great So the Yaskar Avdi is the Pekida, you see. And then after he grows, and while he grows, Christ will also grow. And then you have this Zechira, which is the actual, um, in a certain sense, the destruction of the actual evil. Well, they will be destroyed. Or whatever einish they get, and so on, you know. So those are the two stages.
1: The Zechira is the Mashiach ben David.
0: The Zechira is the Mashiach ben David. Yes.
1: And does yes. it say anywhere a time frame between the two stages, or no?
0: Does it say? Does it say what?
1: Does it say anywhere a time frame between the two stages?
0: Uh, to my knowledge, no. But it's not a long time period. It's not a long time period. And the main idea is Mashiach bin safe Because he is, his task, right, is to neutralize completely evil, the air of Rav, right, and to bring down the Beis Migdash. I mean, after that, I mean, what else? Then that, that's it. That's the, that's the end, you see. Uh, so even though there's no release yet, you know, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu coming to Egypt. How, you know, there was a certain amount of months where they had to do the suffering. But once uh, that was over, that's it. And the Rosh destroyed them with the ten makkas, you see. And then they left Egypt and so on, you know. So that, that's also what's going to happen, you know. There's a certain amount of time that the Mashiach Yosef has to do his job. But, that, but those tasks that he does is astounding. Because like I say, you know, It's uh, teaching them Torah. It's uh, also, uh, besides teaching them Torah, it's also destroying evil and bringing down the base of megdash and beginning to reveal the orison, the messianic light. That's Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben David is what's called. He's the king that will, uh, you know, carry on a kingdom. that you have these four items. You know, these items, the end of the Golas, all of them, the Bais the Orishan, the, the and so on, the end of the exile and so on, these items will be permanent in the Moshiach Ben-David. But the one who creates the change uh, is Moshiach Ben-Yosef. You know, you can look at it in terms of a woman giving birth. The one who takes the baby where it exits, and then all of a sudden it's now in the world, Mishach ben Yosef, like he's the obstetrician, you know. And then the one who grows the mishach, uh, the uh, the uh, the child, is Mishach ben David. That's the kingdom of the Messiah. You see, the kingdom itself, but the transition of the rev- of the evil kingdom to a messianic kingdom is Mishach ben Yosef.
1: So. No. Wouldn't the ten ma'kot have to happen, like, during the process when the Beit HaMikdash comes down?
0: Uh, yeah. It would probably happen then, right.
1: But you said that the Zahira is when the Shekhinah <coughs> is going to be revealed, and that's when the ten
0: ma'kot happens. Yeah, but that's going to be... What, what happens is is that the Beit HaMikdash is revealed before Moshiach ben David. So maybe the Marcus will begin, well, the Marcus actually is during Mashiach Ben Yosef. Actually, it's really an overlap. It's Ben Yosef and Ben David, you know. doesn't really clearly say, like, like the Rambam says, we don't really know exactly what will happen. You know, we know different events will happen, but the actual sequence, we don't really know until they happen. That's what the Rambam says, you know. So we we can more or less guess what seems to be the logical order of the sequence, but it could vary, you know, it could, could vary. Didn't
1: Raphael say that some of the stages could happen even simultaneously?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it could, you know, unless one is a prerequisite for the other. But if that is a possibility, Yes. But it's more likely that it will be a sequence.
1: So the time of when Mashiach ben Yosef has to grow, what is the world going to be looking like? Is evil still going to be on, uh, on a high while he is growing himself?
0: <clears throat> well, this you're looking at the war of Goyim and Mugoyg, really, you know. When Mashiach ben Yosef grows, he will be totally uh, successful, nothing will be able to stop him. Because that's what, that's what Moshiach ben Yosef is all about. It's an absolute success rate, you see. And the world will realize that the world is changing. And then you will have a reassertion of evil. That's the whole concept of, of goig and against Moshiach ben Yosef. That's really what happens. So there will be an attempt of evil you know, right, to recapture or to reassert itself, its uh, sovereignty. See, that's exactly what happened in Egypt. The Jews left. All of a sudden, Egypt ran after them. They wanted to reassert their dominance and sovereignty over the Jewish people. That was a second attempt. That is the equivalent of Goig from the land of Mogoig. So that is part of the process. Yes, where evil is not just going to give up, you know, and then Moshiach Ben Dovid appears and wipes them out. And all of that is Nyecheskeu, uh, Lametches, you know, Sif Yecheskeu, Lametches. That's all part of Moshiach bin Yosef's era, except at the end where Moshiach bin David appears and wipes them out.